Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to Past Gas, your favorite podcast by Donut Media. Uh, I'm Nolan. Uh, today with me, I have Mr. Joe Weber. Hello. And Mr. Jeremiah Burton. Hello, hello. Today on Past Gas, we are starting our two-part series on the machines of Antarctica. Dang, dude, I'm so excited for this one. <laughs> yeah, get used to enunciating Antarctica because it's hard. Is that the north part or the south part? That is the south. That is the the south pole is located at the at the, Antar- at the Antarctica. The penguins are there. Mm. Uh, they actually just drilled down like thousands of feet into this lake that hasn't even been touched in like millions of years. I just that's, that seems that's like a, the only that's anecdote how you get like those. Uh, that's how you get like that's how the thing yeah, comes. The thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Why are we messing around with that kind of stuff? Didn't we learn anything from the thing? Ain't you ever seen a John Carpenter film? Uh, anyway, so yeah, to give you guys some context, dear listener, uh, we're going to start with the very beginning of Antarctic exploration and see why they needed machines in the first place. Because you know what? Kind of it's hard to get around. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that much. There's no buses. Let's say that. Yeah, let's get that right out of the way. No Uber. <laughs> no scooters. Uh, there will be car talk near the end of this episode. We just have to get there. So, get yourself some hot cocoa ready, because it's about to get cold in here. Ooh. What? Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about forts. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out, and I really appreciate that. So, thank you. All right, now for the show. On board his ship, the Resolution, Captain James Cook first discovered the continent of Antarctica on January 31st, 1775. After discovering, quote, discovering New Zealand and circling the globe a few years prior, Cook hated that much of the Pacific still remained unexplored. So 
he had returned to find what he believed to be a hidden seventh continent. Many offered to do this exploration for him, but he refused to let others hinder his imperialistic swag. Cook, <laughs> listen, you've done a lot of exploring. Let us do some exploring. Come on. No. No way, Jose. I'm going to that frigid seventh continent. <laughs> <laughs> so he set out to find it for himself. He had thought he discovered the continent, but he refused to row ashore and claim any land for the British Empire because the land he saw appeared inhospitable and believed it would never serve as an asset to the British Empire. As it turned out, though, James Cook had not discovered the true continent of Antarctica. Instead, he'd only discovered the Sandwich Islands. Yummy. Yum, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But that didn't matter to him, nor his explorations investors back in England. To him, any further southern exploration would be pointless, as the southern sea was just too dangerous and it was just cold outside. (laughs) (laughs) The icebound continent was now globally understood to be a worthless asset, but time would soon challenge that idea. Cook never got the chance to be proven wrong, though, as he was dismembered and killed on a Hawaiian beach in 717. Yeah, uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, Shortly after he, quote, again, discovered Hawaii's existence. Well, at least he was in a Hawaiian place. Mahalo, baby. (laughs) Uh, Because of Cook, Britain did not... Yeah, James Cook, not a good guy. I just want to say that. Uh, Britain did not have any intention to explore the frozen wasteland, but there was a different sentiment over in Russia. In 1819, Tsar Alexander I dispatched two Pacific expeditions with the sole intention of discovering the Antarctic continent. He knew there would be some scientific benefits to such an exploration, but what he really wanted to demonstrate was his control. To Alexander, the control of both the North and South Poles would be a global demonstration of the Tsar's power to the entire world. kind of mirrors like, like Russian history has been like that forever, where they're just like, we want the power. Russia has a very complicated and super interesting history. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of funny to think the guy was like, I want top of world. I want bottom of world. (laughs) Middle part? Not that important. (laughs) It is a little sweaty down there. (laughs) Also, it's hilarious because like most of Russia's is like frozen wasteland and they're like, Mm -hmm. I want more. (laughs) I want more of that. Yo, shout out to our Russian listeners if you're out there, man. What up? Dimitri. Keep it going, going, man. Yeah. On January 27th, 1820, the Russian expeditions crossed the Antarctic Circle. It was the second expedition to have ever done so. And just one day later, the crew of the Russian ship, the Vostok, reported sighting of the continent. Though once again, the discovery was only uh, some more islands close to Antarctica. Ah, these sandwich islands again! (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty hard to discover land if it's made out of ice, mountains, and snow. The first actual, actual sighting of Antarctica was by a small American crew of seal hunters in February 1821. Uh, but the sighting was swept under the rug as only, quote, real explorers could make such a discovery. Would you ever eat seal meat? I couldn't do that, no. No, they're too I, cute. Yeah, they're too dang cute. I would imagine it to be very, like, fatty. Oh, yeah. Almost like oh, the, for sure. the goose of Ooh. Uh, cows or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, now I kind of, mm, I don't know, it sounds good. Uh, <laughs> In one fell swoop, you just yeah. said the goose of cows, and it changed no one's mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you imagine being a seal hunter in 1821? Like, <laughs> what kind of person's uh, doing that? There's nothing more shittier that I could think of. 
on a boat in the water, freezing your freezing ass your balls. Off. Yeah, your ass off. Yeah, it's like, and then you have to like, you can't just shoot them. You have to club them. Yeah, oh. you have to beat the shit out of them. Can't do it. Um, James Cook had described the land as inexpressibly horrid in every aspect. Uh, at this point in time, the existence of Antarctica had yet to actually be proven, but a race to be the first to truly discover the continent had begun. First, it was the Russians that wanted a peace, like we said. Then the French came along, then the British and the Americans, and even Chile at a point. A joint German-Norwegian exploration team was formed to try to claim some of the land. What made this team unique, though, was the people it was composed of. The majority of the group were whalers, tough men who knew a thing or two about being cold. (laughs) Hey, I like being cold. (laughs) Uh, They were the closest to experts on the terrain that existed at the time. Now, finally, the first actual landing on Antarctica was by another group of seal hunters in 1853, but nobody cared, and the Norwegian expedition declared themselves the first people to ever step foot on the land on January 24th, 1875. The feeling of being the first people to have ever stepped foot on on the new land was, quote, strange yet pleasurable, uh, until at least the locals attacked. It took... (laughs) Two hours to fight off a colony of Adele penguins with sticks, but once they hunted a few seals, uh, they left after that. So I guess so they got attacked by penguins, and then they killed some seals, and then they bounced. Uh. I think that's so crazy that these people from like the top of the world just go all the way down here, yeah, (laughs) fight some penguins. Eat a seal, and then they're like, "Okay, let's, let's later." Back. We did it. <laughs> the Norwegian whalers arrived to prove that landing was possible. Their return to the land would be accompanied by a wave of scientists and explorers. They had unknowingly kicked off what would become the quote heroic age of Antarctic exploration that would dominate the early 20th century. If you don't know much about the terrain of Antarctica, it sucks a lot. <laughs> Original explorers did not see much commercial gain from the continent. They saw tremendous scientific value for their home countries, though, specifically Britain. Britain has a nasty habit of wanting to dominate every piece of land in sight. Uh, So most things were done in the view of how could this benefit Britain? Well, there is ice. (laughs) We need ice for our iced tea. (laughs) Don't, Don't people in Europe typically not like ice in their beverage? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. It's so weird. Mm. So there might have been something else there. Go down to the pub and have a warm Dr. Pepper, mate. Yeah. It's funny <laughs> It's funny that like after a hundred years of this place, people like they go down there, they see it, they're like, There's nothing here. And then it's like they forget fifty years later, another like, group of people gotta yeah, you gotta there. get down there. There's important stuff. They get down there, there's it's nothing. Ice. There yeah. might be ore. <laughs> Oh, we'll get there, Joe. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Uh, private expeditions skyrocketed in hopes to claim the land for Britain. Britain took the lead uh, when it came to the expeditions, but the Germans also wanted a little peace. Kaiser Wilhelm II wanted to, wanted to dominate the southern seas solely for prestige and glory and began sending expeditions down to claim territory for Germany. Everyone's just freaking going down there. In 1901, the British ship Discovery departed from London's East India docks. On board were two men who had become the most infamous explorers of all time, Ernest Shackleton and Robert Falcon Scott. Really good names. Yeah, those, those are, are sick. Ballin' ass names. Yeah. On this expedition, they explored nearly 560 kilometers inland and were officially claimed all of Antarctica for Britain. Much like when the U.S. astronauts landed on the moon, so we basically claimed the moon, right? We own the moon. We own the moon. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. U.S.A. Okay. (laughs) Other countries claim that the land was obviously too vast to be conquered by a single run like that, so they continued sending more and more expeditions. In 1907, Shackleton set off aboard the Nimrod in an attempt to claim the or to conquer the pole and undisputably conquer the land for Britain. Okay, wait, quick aside for Nimrod. A lot of people think it means dumb now, but that's only because of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Nimrod was actually like an accomplished hunter in old Greek lore. Whoa. So it was, he was saying it ironically to Elmer Fudd uh, because he wasn't a good hunter. Yeah. And so then people mistook it for uh, cut down or, yeah, put down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Nimrod was actually like like a a good hunter. Like it's such a great insult in the context of that cartoon, but people got the meaning got totally taken away. Yeah. Interesting. Shackleton claimed the exploration was for scientific purposes, but in reality, he knew that being the first to conquer the pole would bring him great fortune and fame. Hey, you discovered Antarctica. Here's a bag of money. Right? But, you, but you really didn't because a couple people did it before <laughs> yeah. you. You discovered a beach on Antarctica. <laughs> you just you just stuck a flag in the ground and said, I declare it's mine. <laughs> and I guess people, you know, history goes to those who... Uh, what, what, what's the phrase? Plant flags. That's right. That was it. Whoa. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> As he had learned from his previous expedition with Scott, he needed to bring two things. First, he brought a pistol so he could dispose of horses as soon as they had completed their job. I'm bringing a bunch of horses just to shoot on the beach of Antarctica. Second, he brought an automobile. Uh, His goal was to determine if a car would be capable of eliminating all need for animals in future expeditions. This four-cylinder, 15-horsepower, air-cooled beast uh, was provided for his journey. Shackleton claimed that his automobile would be capable of traveling up to 150 miles in 24 hours under favorable conditions. But those claims would prove to be just claims. There's no way an old car like that would be able to do that. And can you imagine... Mm -hmm. Like getting in your car in the morning in Antarctica and like waiting it for it to warm up. Oh, jeez. 
As soon as the car was lifted onto the ice, it only moved a few feet before stalling out. <laughs> After a quick tune-up, the car ran, but it was obviously that it wouldn't work. The petrol engine had not been tested in extreme cold, and there's no adequate way to combat the lack of traction. The car could barely start, and it was abandoned shortly after the expedition had begun. Uh, though Shackleton and his ponies carried on, the ponies did horribly in the snow too. They barely lasted longer than the car because yeah, they don't have any fur. Okay. Horses don't have fur, right? Well, like ponies, ponies just have little legs. <laughs> yeah, like little baby, thin baby legs. legs. They don't have camel feet that can spread out. No, they Whoa. need they need donkeys with big old. Big, Big old hooves. <laughs> Snowshoes. <laughs> Snowshoes, yeah. That's kind of fucked up to bring some ponies. You know, like, the whole place is snowing, you yeah. know? Like, has this guy ever been in a snow... Like, you can just, like, you know... Again. I have long legs, and even I've walked in snow that's gone up to my to my waist, wow. you know? Yeah. That's that's the size of a pony. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, the, a constant theme of the show that we run into is just hubris and just being like, hey, we'll do it. It's fine. Yeah. And yeah. then just failure once they get there yeah it seems so, like they didn't put any thought in no. it they're just like it was a different time we got some then. extra space on the ship let's just uh <laughs> we got these six ponies yeah uh the expedition was forced to end within a hundred miles of the pole wow uh although some people claim the number was fudged to make shackleton look better we don't really know how close he, he could got. have gone like 500 yards and been like i'm just gonna tell people like, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna wait here for a few weeks and then we'll go back yeah uh <laughs> They began running low on supplies, and they're almost out of ponies to eat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the real reason yeah. they brought them. Yeah. The guy was just like, well, they might be useful, but if not, they'll be yeah. food. We didn't bring any food because we took all the space <laughs> up with all these ponies. Yeah, uh, They chose ponies because they couldn't figure out how to control the dogs well enough to use them on dog sled teams. Uh so that was the real reason yeah. they didn't do dogs. They just didn't want to spend the time to train the dogs. And apparently the dogs they brought were also eaten. <laughs> so good. Great, like, post-Christmas episode. <laughs> if you like animals at all, you've bailed early on because of the seal stuff. But if you made it through it, yeah. you're just, now you're just you're like, horrified. Right, because to... people in the early, what, 20th century were a bunch of dicks. So, yeah, it was pretty clear that animals were not suited to this environment. So it was time to design a machine that made the animals obsolete. Rolled Amundsen was a Norwegian explorer who had made himself famous a year earlier in 1906 by discovering and navigating the treacherous Northwest Passage above Canada, beating Britain to the prize. He was a passionate explorer and believed the only way to explore was to use the environment to your advantage. Sponsorships for explorations were pouring in from everywhere to every explorer. All people wanted was to discover the South Pole, and governments and newspapers would pay you a pretty penny to attach their name to that discovery. I love, like, even before, going back to the first guy who did this, he was on a spot, like, he was paid. Yeah. Like, that would be your job. Hey, here's some money from the, the king or queen or government. Yeah. Go find new land. You know, so no wonder why there was a lot of pressure to bring back stuff. So when he did find it, he was like, there's, there's nothing down there. And now it's just full circle again. Yeah. They're trying to find some sweet gold in that snow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but not the gold snow. No, you don't <laughs> want that. No, you don't no, want yeah. that. The real race to the polls began as soon as people learned that it could make you rich. The main competing countries were Britain, Germany, Norway, and now Japan was in on the races too. Everyone wanted a piece of that sweet polar pie, baby. Sounds really good. It sounds like that uh, 31 Flavors uh, treats a pizza. <laughs> I Yum, don't... dude. <laughs> remember the ch- remember the Choco Taco? <laughs> oh, so I, dude, don't sleep yeah. on a Choco Taco. They're so good. They're so good. Oh man! Uh, when an ice man, ice cream man comes to ring in, that's my number one order. What if all Choco the food taco. they took down to Antarctica was just ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> it would stay cold, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. ice cream and horse meat. <laughs> On September 8th, 1911, Roald Amundsen, now representing Norway, set sail to reach the South Pole. He hoped the accomplishment in the South would help him further fund future explorations in the North. His biggest competitor, Robert Falcon Scott, had set sail in January, but had been delayed due to issues with his ship. So at that time, Amundsen had the lead over Scott, but that lead was quickly shunted as soon as they met intense cold weather of negative 56 degrees Celsius in Antarctica. What's that conversion, Nolan? Wait, let's guess on it. What do you think 56 below C is? Wasn't it 32 plus like five-fourths of whatever it is? (laughs) I don't know. Let's say minus, uh, minus 120. I think minus 65. Minus sixty-eight point eight. Wow, look at that, dude. That's freaking cool. Like, and they didn't have clothes. They didn't have hot hands. You know those no, hot no. hands? Yeah, they didn't have that. They just had seal pelts. Yeah. Amundsen was forced to wait until October fifteenth to finally set sail for the South Pole. Good lord! Isn't that? That's yeah. That's a terrible time. Well, hold on. Is it October fourth? You're getting into winter. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, yeah. And does it like Antarctica probably gets bigger in winter, right? Like <laughs> you sure. probably have more land to go. Oh yeah. The more it freezes. Yeah. This marked the beginning of one of the most famous exploration races in history, the Amundsen Scott Race to the Pole. Oh, now I now I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, Amundsen's exploration went without a hitch. His team of five men, uh, including him, successfully raised the Norwegian flag over the South Pole on December 15th, 1911. While Amundsen was raising his flags, Scott was more than 480 kilometers away from the South Pole, which, why? I don't know why this is all metric. Can I guess? Yeah, sure. Uh, 120. Uh, 480, I think that's uh, 300 miles. 298.2. Joe's hey! on a roll, dude. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> and that's kind of what set Amundsen and Scott apart. Amundsen worked with the environment, you know, adapting to the requirements of the harshest terrain on Earth. Scott, on the other hand, wanted to conquer it. He believed that he had, with a heavy enough fist, he could shape the land to obey him. But he lost, so that didn't really work. So I think Rold was right. Sorry, this is kind of out of order. But I remember this uh, Shackleton's expedition. They a lot of their ship was taken up by whiskey. Oh my god! They had crates and crates of whiskey. But in 2010, they found Whoa. all this whiskey, and so there's like crates of whiskey that's like over 100 years old, and down in Antarctica was, they found it. Yeah, yeah. and it oh. was still good. It was like because the snow had like they didn't yeah. know where their camp was because the snow had kind of like covered it. Yeah. And then they finally found it with, like, sonar, and then they found all these crates of whiskey. Wow. I'd like to have some of that. Yeah. 
And it's still good. They said it has a lovely aroma. Wow. <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Uh, so Scott had brought with him three motor li- motorized sleds that rode on um, tracks instead of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> on paper, it would be the savior of the expedition. They could carry tons of necessary resources, uh, but actually, in reality, they failed spectacularly. And they you- also didn't run on gas. They ran on pony blood. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Shackleton's attempted use of the motor car, the sleds turned into little more than a publicity stunt. One of the three sleds was lost almost immediately during unloading. Uh, when it was unloaded onto thin ice, it plunged into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. What are these guys doing? Uh, this is like the if the Dudesons. Yeah. <laughs> they sent the Dudesons to go explore Antarctica. <laughs> oh. oh, man. You guys are not ready for the next episode. Um, <laughs> the other two were so inefficient on loose snow that they're forced to be abandoned after only 50 miles. <laughs> I wanted to guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're just... I, I, I feel like it would be the equivalent of us making a rover that goes to Mars and not testing it in like the sands of yeah. Dubai or something. Oh, or like someplace that is most equivalent to NASA's that. like scratching their head like, why did we send so much whiskey up to Mars? <laughs> <laughs> it was the failure of these sleds that would prove to be Scott's downfall. Before long, Scott and his men were forced to haul the sleds themselves. What a waste of time. The extra effort caused by the hauling meant that his men were slowly starving to death. Uh, it was not until January of 1912 that he had he and his men finally reached the pole, uh, which, by which time Amundsen had already, he was already returning to base. <laughs> they, they'd pass him, be like, hey, we did it. we've See already it. put the flag there. It's not worth it. Don't. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's nothing down there. There's Scott. not a Sabaro. <laughs> <laughs> Scott was not thrilled to see the numerous Norwegian flags planted at the poles. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Uh, oh my gosh. Weighed down by scurvy, frostbite, and failure, they began the long trek back to base. Scott collected rocks <laughs> to, <laughs> to bring oh back God. as proof that the entire journey was for scientific purposes. Though it's pretty obvious Scott only tried because he wanted to be the first to claim the land for Britain. Um, the extra weight of 14 kilograms of rock sealed his team's fate. Soon they began dying one by one. They were within 200 kilometers of salvation, but Scott insisted they remain in their tents to, quote, die like gentlemen. It took nine days for all three remaining men to die. The thing that's funny about this is that he went and saw a bunch of flags, and then, like, if it was me, how are they going to know? Just pull up the flags and then put your own flag. And yeah. the, but even if you did that, who's gonna know? Yeah, you don't. No one. You could just lie. There's like a seal with a little camera. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Did they take pictures? I mean, obviously they took pictures. I see some stuff here, but you know, you could probably fake it. It doesn't oh look God. like anything. Uh, Scott had failed due to his, uh, I would say, hubris and incompetence. But pre-war Britain needed a hero for morale, so they made do and transformed Scott's legacy and turned him into a national hero. Uh, despite the poll now being under Norway's claim, the British government understood that the public support for their fallen hero would only convince people to support further exploration of Antarctica. Only a few people at, at the time knew that Scott's lack of knowledge, adaptability, and less-than-stellar preparedness were to blame for his failure, so he was openly accepted as a hero in the history books. 
Both Scott and Abenson had one thing in common. They both viewed Antarctica as a path to greater things, specifically that fame and fortune. Douglas Mawson, on the other hand, was like no one anyone had ever seen before. He didn't care about money or fame. He just wanted to check out that sweet, sweet ice. (laughs) Mawson reasoned that the coastline nearest Australia obviously should be under the control of Australia and secured funding from the Australian and British government for his expedition. To drum up public support, his wife thought that an aircraft could really increase his popularity. And it did. But almost immediately, the plane flipped and crashed into an airfield during an air show. But Mawson was not the type of man to let a small airplane crash stop him. So he removed the plane's wings and retrofitted it as an air tractor sledge. And if you look at these pictures here, it's just a looks like a plane fuselage with skis on the bottom. That's a really good idea. It's freaking cool. Yeah. I don't get... So he was at an air show in Britain? Like, or Australia. Or Australia, showing off his plane, yeah. his sled plane. Yeah. Okay. And then crashed, and he's like, well, we could still use the propeller. <laughs> Mawson brought two new pieces of technology with him as well. First, he brought a color camera, uh, but more importantly, he brought a radio. His radio helped connect him to the outside world during his expeditions and proved to be a major milestone in the advancement of industrialization of Antarctic travel. I think it's funny that they brought a color camera to... As a place that's white and gray. <laughs> that's hilarious, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, the stories this week are pretty much ones of tragedy and failure, but they served a greater purpose. It was these failures that really set the stage for what would become one of the most innovative exploration races in history. Within a matter of decades, people went from pulling sleds with dogs to transporting themselves in a giant bus that was designed to comfortably house four people. It was these revolutionary stories that would inspire one of the most well-funded and little-known failures of the entire Antarctic research expedition, the Snow Cruiser. Ooh. But we'll talk about that next week. Oh, come on. I think you guys only bring me on when there's a cruiser in the title of the podcast. (laughs) I got PT Cruiser. And you know what? I'm finding a lot of... Uh, holes in this story that I don't particularly like, okay? First is, this place sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Just right off the bat. Well, they don't and know that, though. They don't. I guess they don't know that it sucks, and everyone's claiming it as their own. I don't know. I'm excited to see what they're going to find down there. Oh. There better be some good stuff in Antarctica. Oh, we'll find out for sure. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening to Past Gas. Uh, I've been Nolan Sykes at Nolan Sykes on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Joe Weber. I'm dark underscore webinar on Instagram. I'm Jeremiah Burton. You can follow me on Instagram at Jeremiah Burton. And follow Donut Media, of course. Uh, Check us out on YouTube if you haven't. Um, I'd be very interested to hear from someone who only listens to the podcast (laughs) and not not watches the videos. Uh, If you're out there, let me know. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, if you prefer watching your podcasts instead of listening to them, we have a new podcast channel. It's called Donut Podcast. Go give it a subscribe. We have like a thousand subscribers right now. Uh, please help us grow that channel. On the tube. On the tubies. The tubies. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Everyone. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do 
is Angie that? And find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.